Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Hey, good morning. Good to see you this morning. We said something last week, and there was a response, and I need you guys to say it again. So if you're still, still excited about this, full Salem Heights uh, excited response. So I'm going to say it. He is risen. risen Now I'm going to follow it up with a question. So let's do it again. He is risen. risen Now what? Now, good. No one said now what indeed. That's good. But I, I, I got thinking about that this week. Last week we celebrated that Jesus had died he had buried, he was buried, and he rose again 2,000 years ago. And we celebrate that. And actually, that's the reason every Sunday why we celebrate is that he is risen. But I, it begs the question, what should we do next? I'd like for us to pause here this morning and really consider that. Really consider the fact that he has risen again. But then, now what are we to do about it? If you would open up your Bible here to Matthew chapter 28... He gives us the command. He gives us a charge. And this is one that I know is not a new passage to many of you, but I'd like to dissect it a little bit and uh, ask the question, what are we to do in light of his resurrection? Jesus had been alive for 40 days after he rose again, and he gave a charge here in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says this, Jesus came near... And said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now he is arisen. He's alive. Jesus is not dead. Name another world religion, cult, belief system whose leader is alive today. None. You can't, you can't find him. Jesus, our God, our Savior, he's alive. But there at the beginning it says, All authority has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples. This was his charge. This was the answer to the now what? That he's alive. That we are to make disciples. What is a disciple? We use this word a lot. We use it in youth group. We use it in D6. We use it in our growth groups. What is a disciple? A disciple is this. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus, a follower of Christ, that we'd follow how he spoke, that we'd follow how he'd act, that we'd follow his perspective on this life, his outlook, that we love what he loves, hate what he hates, that we'd show grace like he shows grace and mercy as he shows mercy. But it still begs the question, how how are disciples made? Because he said, go make them. Okay, Jesus, how do we do that? How do we make disciples? Well, that's what I'd like to dissect. That's what I'd like to to pause here for a moment and look back at Jesus' life and see how he made disciples. And we're going to see it in four ways this morning. Now, there's a resource that we could get you um, here this morning that's been helpful, and you can write it down. Uh, His name is Dan Spader, and he wrote a book called Four Chair Discipling. And I'd like to kind of uh, um, to pattern this morning's message after... Um, some of his observations as well as we, we take a look at how Jesus made disciples. 
Now, as we said, Jesus, his earthly ministry was three and a half years. He was alive for 40 days after he rose again. But before that, three and a half years of ministry. And in that three and a half years of ministry, he impacted thousands. But it didn't start with thousands. It started with one, and then two, and then three, and then four. It started with one disciple, then two, then three, then four. It just began with a couple people, and then eventually it turned into thousands and thousands, in which Acts said later that the whole world would be turned upside down by just these men, just these few disciples. So our first passage here that I'd like us to take a look at in which how Jesus made disciples is there in John 139. If you turn there with me. And simply see this first interaction with one of the very first disciples. It says in John 139, it says this. Jesus said, come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Now, that separated from the context can seem like a random, what is happening passage. Well, John the Baptist, he was the predecessor to Jesus. He prepared the way for Jesus. He was told of in the Old Testament. He had a couple disciples of his own. And two of his disciples were Andrew and John the disciple. And they were with John the Baptist, and all of a sudden, John the Baptist said, Look, there comes the Lamb of God. That's the guy guy who we've been talking about. Like, that's what the whole Old Testament has been pointing about. That man. That man. And Andrew and John the disciple said, Sorry, uh, John the Baptist, we're going to go follow him. And you can actually read it. It said, it says, The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned around and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? Like, they'd even say, hey, Jesus, can we follow you? They just, they just started following him and didn't say anything. And Jesus was like, what are you guys looking for? And then they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And then here's our passage. This is Jesus' response. Come and you'll see. Come and see. And another translation, you can write this down, is this. Show up. Just show up. And it was four o'clock in the afternoon, and that day, it would, their, their days back in the day, the end of the day would be 6 p.m. So Jesus said, hey, come and see. Just show up. Spend the rest of the day with me. And they stayed the rest of the day talking. Now, why is this significant? Why, why do I believe that this is the first step to becoming a disciple? Why, why is this the first stage to becoming a disciple? It starts with just coming and seeing just showing up. And to help us this morning to kind of visually see this, I'm going to ask Brendan to bring out a little illustration for each one of these steps. And we'll see, uh, we'll see each one of these steps in the view in, of, a, of a seat. And the first one is a camping chair. Thanks, Brendan. Now, many of us, this is our favorite chair, right? <laughs> this is our favorite chair. This reminds us of barbecues past, of moments when we saw the eclipse or didn't see it. And we just went to the beach and looked at the roaring waves. Or maybe, like me yesterday, you were at a soccer game, and there were many parents that came, and they didn't have to play in the soccer game at all. They just watched the kids not score, just kick and chase, right? (laughs) Because that's what soccer is anyway. No one really scores. It's just a bunch of kicking and chasing. I'm sorry. But this is is the chair of choice, because it bears no responsibility, no strings attached. You just come and you sit down, and you get to enjoy everything that's in front of you. 
You get to enjoy what's happening. You get to just observe. There's no, uh, there's no sacrifice here. I just sit down and take it all in. Now, let me tell you, last week might have been your first time to Salem Heights Church. You might be here this morning, and last week was your first time to Salem Heights. You might have came to the Easter egg hunt. You might have saw a million plastic eggs get completely scrounged up by small children and maybe some adults. And last week might have been your first time at church. Today might be your first time at church. And we say, welcome. We say, we're glad you're here. We say, thank you for showing up. Because the more that you show up, the more that you come and see, the more that you sit down, the more that you're going to see God do amazing things. The more that you're going to encounter people who have been changed from darkness into light. The more that you're going to encounter and see the great and mighty works of God. You see, the first step to becoming a disciple of God is just showing up. We've heard that from Pastor Matt for many years. Just show up, true? And that's the first step. Just come and see. It's a simple one, but you have to sit down. You have to observe. You have to take it in. For some people, that's been too much. And you can even look back in your own life and say, no, I don't want to give Jesus a chance. I don't want to give the church a chance. I don't want to give God's word a chance. But just like Andrew and John the disciple, their lives were forever changed just by showing up, just by coming and seeing. And so what is this first chair all about? The first chair is this. It's an introduction to Jesus. It's the first step into becoming his disciple. It's a simple one. No strings attached. Our second chair, our second step to becoming a disciple of Jesus is this, is to follow me. Would you uh, just read a couple verses later? It says, the next day, in verse 43 in John chapter 1, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me, follow me. Follow me. Now, I think it's intriguing that it says the next day that Jesus interacted with John, uh, the day after Andrew and John, he interacted with another disciple. But do you see, there's two words that really hit me when I'm reading this. It says, the next day Jesus decided. This was not an accident. No, this was a sovereign mission that Jesus was on. This was a sovereign appointment that he was about. And then what does it say? It says, he decided to leave for Galilee and he found Philip. Anyone here in this room ever been found by Jesus? Are you glad that you've been found by Jesus? You know what the Word of God says? We were lost. It says that we were kicking and screaming. We didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. That he died for us while we didn't want him. And he found us and said, you're mine. You're my child. You're my kid. You have a new last name and it's child of God. And you're never going to get anything removed from that. He found Philip. But Philip still hadn't decided yet. Jesus decided he wanted Philip. Jesus found Philip, but Philip still had a choice. Should I stay or should I go? (laughs) That was Philip's decision. Now, to help us with this illustration this morning, we got a different seat. This word follow here is actually used 13 times in the New Testament. Thanks, man. This word follow here is used 13 times in the New Testament. This is one of Jesus' favorite phrases to use. He used it over and over and over and over and over. It's a sign of being a follower of Jesus. Being a disciple is someone who follows, doesn't lead, but someone who follows. 
It's a command. And you have to let go of something. Now, in my life, I have four of these in my van. They have different shapes and sizes. And if you can relate to me, there's lots of snacks on the ground in my car. And there's, a, there's one of the worst transitions in all of life that happens every time that we're about to go in the van. And parents, you guys know this transition very well. It's I'm playing in my bedroom or in the living room, and I'm playing with my toys, and I'm playing with the things in, in my life that are really important. I'm building this creation out of Legos or something, and then mom or dad says, it's time to go. And it's as if, like, fire and brimstone and like, I don't know, everything is just on fire because I have to leave this moment. I have to leave these things and again, climb into this car seat. I don't want to, but we're going to church. I don't care, right? And I have to leave this stuff to go sit in here. Now, the, the kid's not thinking through this. My kids aren't thinking through the whole progression, right? That like, if you climb in, it's safe. You might get free snacks from the ground. We're going to go somewhere. <laughs> we're going to go on a trip, right? We're going we're gonna to go to an adventure. We're going to go someplace. They're not thinking through that. What they don't want to do is leave this because this is comfort. This is my plan. These are my things. I don't want to go right now. And in this moment, right here in this verse, Philip finds himself being found by Jesus in the same moment. And Jesus says, you have to follow me. We have to follow him. If I drop the things, if I drop my toys, if I drop my desires, and I drop my wants, and I follow him, I climb in and I'm safe. I'm forever his. See, climbing into this seat is through the belief in the gospel. I have to let go of my answers to this life and my self-awareness and self-help and satisfaction and climb in to the seat of safety from my Savior. I have to climb in. And once I'm in, I'm safe. He drives. He takes me wherever I go. You see it in the life of the disciples. He's the one who's leading. He's the one who's safe. I believe that he is the answer, that these things aren't what I'm made for. But that transition can be hard to go, okay, God, I believe in you. I'm going to follow you now. We know in Psalm 37, it actually says that, that uh, though we might fall, we won't be overwhelmed because it's God's hand who holds us. It's not a promise that we'll not get in a car accident, but that I'm going to be safe because he's the one who holds me. If you believe here today, if you know Christ personally, you have said, I'm leaving self, and I'm following the Savior. Amen. This is your seat. You're safe. But here's the caution. Here, here's what I believe many times. As believers, we get comfy in the car seat. Sometimes we fall asleep in the car seat. As a disciple of Jesus, we're not just, we're not just observing, thinking, man, I, I know who God is. No, no, we have a relationship, but we get comfy he doesn't want us to stay here in this seat because it would look pretty awkward if six-year-old me who came to know Jesus was still sitting in the seat as a 36-year-old. That'd be uncomfortable for all of you and me. But yet, if we're honest, many times this is the seat that we stay in. We don't progress further because we know there are other things that these disciples are to be about. Not just stay comfy, but to be used by Christ. Most believers never progress out of this car seat. That's been my observation. 
I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we like that seed. But Jesus calls us to something greater. And so this second chair, this second seat of discipleship is that of following me. Letting go of self and grasping the Savior through belief is the second step of discipleship. Come and see. Follow me. What's our third seat? What's our third chair? What's our third statement? If you turn over to Matthew 4.19, Jesus says this. In a different moment now with his disciples, I believe it's 18 months later, he was walking along the Sea of Galilee in verse 18. And he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said, here's our statement again, Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. All these statements this morning are bite-sized truths and chunks to hold on to. And this is a phrase that I know many of us have taught, have read, have believed. But I think it's one that is hard to personalize. It's hard to consider. It's hard to take up. This is my, uh, most possibly the most difficult stage of discipleship, of becoming a, his disciple, is this right here, to be a fisher of men. It's risky. You see, Jesus was walking alongside the Sea of Galilee and saw Simon, and he saw Andrew, and they were fishing. This was their business. And he said, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now this one's pretty self-explanatory. This is actually a fishing seat from a boat and a fishing rod. Okay? (laughs) But I want you to consider something here this morning. That what Jesus was calling them to do, Andrew and Peter, their liveliness, their livelihood, excuse me, and their job was to fish to take care of their families, was to fish to get money, was to fish and to use the energy and their lives to support themselves. And what Jesus was doing was flipping that around and saying, I want you to fish no longer for you, but for me. Not for money, not for pleasure, not for identity, but for me. You were invented for me. That's what Colossians 1.16 says, that all things were made through him and for him. Could it be that your job, could it be that your life is feeling empty because you're fishing for something that you were never meant to fish for? You're meant to fish for him. Now, I think I know maybe what is going through some of the pastor's mind right now. Are you going to tell that story about your first fishing experience? Yes. (laughs) Many years ago, Pastor Justin took a lot of the staff um, and I on a fishing trip on the McKenzie River. And I had not really ever grown up fishing or anything. And uh, I was on a pontoon boat. I think AJ was in the front. Pastor Justin was in the middle. And I was in the back. I had no idea what what I was doing. Okay? I I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't catch any fish for like six hours. And all of them were like, fish on, fish on, fish on. I'm like, just fall in. Okay? And then finally, when I finally caught one, I, I got it. And then I chucked it like, I was an NFL tight end, and they're like, what are you doing? You know, chuck fish? I'm like, 
Y'all didn't teach me how to like catch a fish. I didn't know how to, you know, release it. I broke a part of the, uh, the boat and I threw my phone in the water by accident. It was a great day. Super good day. At the end, I'm going like, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to do this. See, I don't want to ever go fishing again. This is, this is terrible. Embarrassed. Didn't do anything. But here's the thing. Pastor Justin and the other leaders, they took his fishing again. And again. And again. And again. And you know what happened? I started to watch. You know what happened? I started to get a little bit better. I didn't throw my phone in the water as much. <laughs> I, I got a little better, step by step. And you know one of the most encouraging words in this verse? Did you see it? It says this, follow me, he told them, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fish people. The expectation of God is not that you'd be perfect first time to be a fisherman. The expectation of God isn't that you'd have it all figured out. No, God says, I'm going to make you. I'm in this too. I'm a part of the process too. I'm the one that's going to make you a fisher of men. You're not going to figure this out on your own. No, the spirit of God within you is going to make you a fisher of men. And what happened? You can't get enough. Now I can't get enough of fishing. What happens many times why we don't get into the river, why we don't get into the boat, why we don't cast and we don't say, you know what, I, I, man, I can't share Jesus with that person. I don't, I don't know the gospel well enough. I can't serve in cause. I can't serve in D6 in the most excellent way and growth groups. I can't do it. Many times there's fears that come with it. Many times there's a fear. Maybe it's because you think it's on you. Many times, maybe you think it's up to you to fish well. No, Jesus is going to make you a fisher of men. As you abide in him and you plug in, watch. When you get that first catch, holy cow, I didn't know how that happened. Yeah, it was God. When you see that first person come to know Jesus, when you see that first kid go, thank you, teacher Rick. Thank you, teacher Stacy. When that parent says, you don't even know how much impact. I'm not doing anything. I'm just showing up. Oh, wait. Yeah. He's going to make you a fisher of men. Through abiding in him and plugging in, all of a sudden you're going to get a catch and, and you're not going to be able to get enough. See, the third chair of discipleship, as I said, is quite possibly the most difficult because I have to get out of here and I have to go, that person needs Jesus. That person I'm going to be spending the rest of eternity with. Help me, God. I don't know what I'm doing. Keep fishing. Keep fishing. He's going to use you. If the church were four pastors, this would be terrible. But 1 Corinthians 12 says it's a body and that we need every single piece. We need every single body part. We, couldn't, we can't do it with just a couple people. We need every single person in this church to be used by him to fish for him. That's how the church grows. That's how disciples are made. And so we say this, that the third, the third chair of discipleship is to go fishing. It's to be engaged in ministry, in the church, in the community. To share Christ, to share the gospel, share the good news of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his, his sacrifice for you. That's the third chair. Our fourth chair is this. Our fourth step is this. And if you turn to our last passage, it's in John chapter 15. 
In John chapter 15, it says this. We're to bear fruit. In John chapter 15, and you can start with me in verse... Um, you can start with me in verse 12, if you got that. And we'll focus just on verse 16. It says, This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you my friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. Then check this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit. And there's not a period there. It says this. And that your fruit should remain. So that where, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is the command. This is what I command you. Love one another. And we know the background and context of this passage is this is the upper room. Jesus is about to go to the cross. These are the last moments he has with his, with his disciples. He knows that He's about to die, that he's about to be buried and rise again. He knows that he'll be alive for 40 days. He knows the persecution that's going to come to all the disciples. And what does he say here? Right before he's about to die, my prayer would be that you would produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. Your fruit should remain. Now, it got me thinking, what does that, what does that mean? that your fruit should remain. I mean, I know that when I see Jesus face to face one day, and I know in scripture that if I've been faithful to him, if I've lived for him, if I believe first in the gospel, but that my works were done in a way that they were for him, they're not going to burn up. We know that from his word. That he'll say, well done and good and faithful servant, based upon my belief in the gospel and that, that my life was lived for him. But here in the context, he's talking to his disciples, knowing that he's about to die and knowing that this, these truths that he shared with them, that they would remain, that they would remain. I believe that what Jesus is talking about here is, and what he's referencing is that their fruit would remain through labor for Jesus in the lives of others. As we follow Jesus, that we'd invest intentionally with someone, that that fruit would then remain in that person, and then that person, and then that person. Not just simply, I'm going to talk to a group of people, know that I have intentional investment in a couple, kind of like how Jesus did it, like with 12 people. To not assume that one post on the internet is going to affect thousands, but that I have an intentional investment in a couple people. That the fruit in my life that God's produced, that it would impact someone else's. Now, the last illustration here might take Brendan a second. There you go. Oh, it's still coming. Now, thanks, man. You want to go on a ride later? Okay. Now, no, no, not right now. Okay. <laughs> now, uh, what this is, this is, a, if some of you guys have never seen one of these before, it's kind of a pseudo tandem bicycle, okay? Now, on the back here, I've placed my son or my daughter, and she's ridden there before, and on the front, I'll be uh, chugging away up and downhills really sweating, okay? And uh, the thing about a tandem bicycle, and this one in particular, 
They can't steer. They can't brake. They're just there along for the ride, right? And the person here in the front, they're the one that can steer. They have braking ability. They can speed up, slow down. They have gears and, and all, the, all, all the accoutrements of a nice bike, right? The person in the front is in control of the direction and speed and braking. The other seat is there to support, and they're just there for the ride. The first seat is for the person who's been down the trail. They've been down the road. They know where this is going. They, they've been here before. The person on the back, I, what is going on? I mean, this is my, I'm, new to, I'm new to like everything. I'm new to riding a bike. I'm new, to, I'm new to all this. I need help. The person on the front has a goal in mind, has a destination in mind. They know where they're going. You see, the last chair of discipleship, this last step of discipleship is all about inviting someone other to follow you as you follow Christ. The last chair of discipleship is all about inviting someone to follow you as you follow Christ. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He said it, follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. You see, this last stage of an investment is intentional. I believe one of the most impactful, effective times in anyone's life is after all the kids are out of the house. What the, our senior saints are those that are older than I am and those that have the ability to invest in people like me. I have those people in my life. I'm on the back seat right here. I, I've not encountered my 40s yet. I've not encountered what it's like in certain things that you're like, oh no, I've been down that road. I've been down that trip. I get it. I need you. I need many of you. Many of you, and the world says this, no, listen to the youth. Listen to the young people's ideas. Can I just tell you, I want to listen to the wise people. I want to listen to people who have been down the road that have spent 30, 40, 50 years with Jesus. I spent like 20 and a half. I want to spend some, I want to spend some time with people who have been down this trail, who have followed Jesus, who have been his disciples way longer than, than I have. You could be sitting here today and say, you know what? If I've been honest, I know Jesus has been pointing to me to do this, to lead someone else intentionally for years and years and years now. Take that. Go for a ride. Take someone and say, you know what? Follow me as I follow Jesus. It's not going to be perfect. You might fall down. It might be bumpy. But God's going to make you into a disciple maker. You say, I, don't, I, I might not have time for that. I might not have time for it. You say, what, what if I'm even, say, a parent? I want to serve in D6 and in cause. I want to be about that. Can I just let you know your number one disciplees are your kids? As a parent, you're the number one disciple maker. I'm not. I'm just supporting you. Who is it that God's calling you to now lead? Who is it that your fruit should remain in their life? You see, the fourth chair and the fourth step and stage of discipleship is intentional investment in other believers. In other believers. Intentional investment in other believers. I have, I have people I can name off right now who I went on a ride with that are in this church. For years and years and years went on a ride with me and I am who I am because of them. You have those people in your life that you can point back to too. Jesus doesn't want our fruit to stop when we die, that that's it, legacy and his impact in our life is done. 
No, he wants it to continue into the next generation. He wants disciple makers, making disciples, making disciples. I have a couple questions, though, for you here this morning, though. The first one is this. Which chair are you in? As you look at these, we have our come and see chair. Just show up chair. We have our follow me chair. Go fishing. Bear fruit. Which chair are you in here this morning? Why? We already mentioned earlier, this might be your first time here at church or last week. We're so glad you're here. I'd love to meet you. love to talk to you about who Jesus is. I'd love for you to hear his love, his grace, his mercy, that he's preparing a place for those who believe in him. I'd love to tell you more about Jesus, and this whole room's filled with a bunch of people that would love to tell you the same thing. I'm glad you showed up. That's the first step. Could you be here this morning and say, you know what, I believe in the gospel, and I've been sitting in that baby car seat for a long time now, and I say this completely respectively and sensitively. It's comfy. It is. But God doesn't want you to sit there forever. He, he wants to use you to do great and mighty things. He wants you, you to be a part of his mission. And so he's asking maybe you to go fishing. Who's he asking you to go fishing? Who, where is he asking you to go fishing? How is he making you a disciple? If you're discouraging that, let's talk. Let's talk to one of the pastors, one of the leaders. Man, I don't know how to reach this person. I don't know what it looks like to get plugged in. Go fishing. Don't stay in the car seat. And if you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't want to spend and waste my life in these last years. I don't want to. I know Jesus is coming back. And I can tell that that person needs a mentor, that that person needs to be discipled. Go for a ride. Who's he calling you to invest in? That the fruit in your life would remain. What chair is God calling you to pursue next? And I'll finish with this last question. What's keeping you from moving forward? What's keeping you from moving forward? Is it fear? What's going to happen? Well, First John says, perfect love casts out fear. Know that God's with you in this whole process. That if you're running to him, you're abiding in him through this whole process. So you can't lose because God's in it. Is it sin? Well, I don't want to move to the next one. Well, First John also says, confess that sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive you of it. He doesn't want you staying stuck. I really believe that he's called each one of us to make disciples. And if we're going to take up that charge and we're going to answer it, let's do it faithfully. And so we, we uh, end our time with how we began, that he is arisen. Now let's go make disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together. We've got to be in your word. It's a gift. We know on the world scene right now, if we just turn on uh, our computers or our phone, we know that this world is pulsating hurt and pain and confusion and chaos. And we know, God, that you've left us here for a reason. Help us not live for things that are temporal. Help us not live 
God, a life that would be so earthly, that would be stuck, that we'd be cemented to the things of this earth, that we'd be so distracted by things that aren't going to last. No, Jesus, you left us here for such a time as this. You didn't want us alive any other season. You left us alive right now. You want us to be here right now for a clear and mighty purpose. And you said, go, make disciples. You want us to reach out to our neighbor. You want us to reach out to our friend, our family, to invest in those that need you. And however you're leading every single person here this morning, as they consider which chair they're in, God, I pray that they would do it as they consider that they would act upon how you're leading them. That they would not leave today wondering or confused. No, that they would have a clear mission as to where they're to go next. As they look around, and as you're challenging them to make disciples, God, thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word, and uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. We love you, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.